Good morning. Good morning. Come on now. Good morning. All right. All right. We got to liven up in here. It's October, and it's going to be 95 degrees today. You're in Orlando, and uh, we, uh, we are going to study the Word of God together. So um, we're continuing this series in the Psalms of Ascent. And if maybe today you've just joined us and you've kind of wondered, what, what are the Psalms of Ascent? In every one of these Psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, uh, there's a subscript that says a Psalm of Ascent. Today is a Psalm of Ascent of uh, David. And these Psalms are songs, it was like the Spotify playlist of the Israelites as they were scattered about throughout the region of the Middle East, and when they went into the festivals for Passover, they would sing these songs. And so you'll notice as you read these songs, the repetition of them make them very, very memorable. And these songs are songs that were used to inspire faith in the hearts of God's people. Uh, I'm going to get a clock on here for a moment, that way I don't preach for an hour and 15 minutes, so it's a good idea. Um, now, these songs are songs that are in the psalm book, like this is the hymn book of Israel that we're singing from. Th these were the stories that were told, these were the, the, the things that allowed the people of God to know from generation to generation the presence of God that was with the generation before them is the presence of God that is with them today and the presence of God that is with the next generation, their children, their children's children, and their children's 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 children that are coming after them. And now here we have these psalms, this Spotify playlist to sing along to, to study from, and to allow our faith to grow. So hey, I want to I wanna ask God to fill us with his presence, his power, and his spoken word right now. Lord, we need you right now. God, we need you not just in this gathering, Lord. I feel a sense of my own inadequacies and weaknesses as I open your word and and seek your word to impact people, people here in the room and people, God, that are joining us online. God, some people we've never met before but are hearing this word. Lord, I pray that you would prick our hearts, that there would be a conviction that falls upon us right now. And that's that we are in your presence. And that's that we are your children. And that's that it is our desire, O oh Lord, to do your will and to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen. All right, so verse one. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let now Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. 
Anybody seen the Broadway hit Hamilton? Anybody been able to watch that? Uh, who went live? Anybody went live? We got a couple that went live. All right, I see that hand. I see that hand. And uh, now there's a, a close resemblance to this psalm in the story of Hamilton. You, you know what it is. It must be nice. It must be nice to have Washington on your side. Come on, everybody. It must be nice. It must be nice to have Washington on your side. You, you know the, the song, right? Hamilton was considered like an adopted son to Washington. He was an orphan. He was, uh, Washington was a, uh, didn't have any children. But yet there's certain men that Washington had an affinity for, an affection for, and Hamilton was one of them. And there were those who seemed to be Hamilton's opponents that said, there's nothing that Hamilton won't, that Hamilton will do where Washington won't back him. Because Washington believed in Hamilton. And Hamilton had Washington's backing. Now, Bringing that into the reality of the Psalms, can we think of it this way? It must be nice to have God on your side. It must be really nice to have, to have the king of the universe, the creator of the heavens and earth on your side. The one who holds time in the palm of his hand. The one who moves direction this and that way. The one who causes the storms to cease. And the one who placed the stars in the sky, well, that's the one that Israel sang of that is on their side. And that's the big idea for our sermon today. It's real simple. God is on your side. God is on your side. But my question for you and the question for me that comes to us here today that begs us asking is, do we really believe it? Do you really believe it? We can know it in our head, but do we believe it in our heart? Uh, Beth Moore, she says, regardless of how long we've been Christians and how deeply we've studied God's word, most of us don't really believe down in the marrow of our bones that God is entirely, wholeheartedly, and unwaveringly on our side. Most of us don't have that in our bones, in our marrow. And that's what we need for life. We're going to see this psalm in three parts. The first part is verses 1 through 4. We're going to talk about remembering deliverance. In verses 1 through 4, remembering deliverance. In verses uh, 5 through 7, we're going to talk about gratitude amplified. We're going to turn the volume up on our gratitude. And then finally, in verse 8, we're going to see seeking help. So that's remembering deliverance, gratitude amplified, and seeking help. So let's read it again, verses 1 through 5. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. 
then over us would have gone the raging waters. Now, David gives us some powerful imagery here. And the imagery is this. We can say the Lord is on our side, but it's important that we understand the alternative. What if the Lord was not on Israel's side? Well, then the earth would have swallowed them up. What if the Lord was not on Israel's side? Then the people would have rose up against them. Then a flood would have crushed them like a torrent. What if the Lord wasn't on their side? Then they would have been like, like a prey in the predator's teeth. That they would have been like a bird trapped by a hunter. If the Lord wasn't on their side, they would have been through. And if you know the history of Israel, if you know the history of God's people, you know this to be true. If God wasn't on their side, we would know nothing of Christianity. If God wasn't preserving his people, protecting his people, and he wasn't leading them as a father leads their children to the way of hope and salvation. You might remember the story of when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. It was amazing how God worked for their benefit. There were 10 plagues that came over Egypt. The final plague, the 10th plague, was the one where Pharaoh said, it's enough, get out of here. And the 10th plague was where God killed the sons of Egypt and spared the sons of Israel. Now as Israel uh, the, the, the people of God left Egypt out of slavery and they went into the wilderness, you'll know that God's provision was extraordinary. It was powerful, God's provision over the people of Israel. But then Pharaoh was second-guessing his decision and he said, what did I do? I just let my whole economy leave. And so Pharaoh sent after the Israelites his whole army and as they're between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, the Israelites wonder, is God really on our side? Is he really on our side? They start questioning Moses. They start wondering, Moses, have you led us out here to be slaughtered? And then God shows them something that was impossible. He takes the waters of the Red Sea and he parts the waters of the Red Sea. And the Israelites, they walk through the, the, the wall of water that is both on their left and their right, and they go all the way to the other side. And just as the last Israelite puts his foot on dry ground and Pharaoh's army is going after them in hot pursuit, the waters collapse upon the Egyptian army and Pharaoh, and they are no more. If it had not been for the Lord who was on their side. If it had not been for the Lord who is right now on my side, I would be through. Do you remember deliverance in your life? I think we've got stories. I think we all have stories. Stories where things seem to have lined up so perfectly that nothing could explain the miracles that we saw but the hand of God. 
Now, they may not have been this, this Red Sea parting miracles, but it was God coming through in the right time, in the right place for my deliverance and for your deliverance. You have those stories? I hope you have those stories. I know you have those stories because God's children are trained through those stories. Not just the stories of Egypt, not just the story of, of the Bible, but God is so good that he makes us live those stories out in our own lives so that we would further trust him again and again and again and again and that we would remember deliverance so that when we see, again, no options, no place to run when trouble is in our midst, that we know that God is on our side and he will deliver us again and again and again. Do you remember deliverance? Scott puts it this way when he wrote his devotional. As you read this devotional this week, you'll hear his story, but he says, when Linda and I were engaged to be married and planning where we would live, it became quite apparent to us that we could not afford to stay in New Jersey, especially if we would have only one income. A daughter was already in our lives, and her starting school in the fall would give us two choices, childcare or Linda staying home. We planned on the latter, but came against resistance right away. Our daughter's biological father took us to court, having set to prevent us from, having, from moving to a more affordable Pennsylvania. Many struggles led up to that court date, and the difficulties remained for years. Even after the allowance for us to move out of state at times, it felt like we couldn't bear the pressure. Had not God been with us, helping and guiding us through it all? A big part of remaining led by the Spirit, in, a big part was remaining led by the Spirit instead of our emotions, and not giving into sinful attitudes and behaviors. We weren't always successful, but had the Lord not been on our side, we would have easily succumbed to bitterness, anger, and other sinful actions. I really appreciated the reality of, of, of what Scott laid out for us, because the reality is, is that when you're in the middle of those circumstances, there's a war raging in your heart, isn't there? Bitterness, resentful, sinful, attitude, sinful attitudes and actions. And it's really hard to trust God in those moments. Interesting thing about this story is I've been able to walk with Scott and Linda through the various ups and downs of life. And I remember being in the hospital with them almost two years ago when Linda had, had her blood count was so low, they knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what it was. And they were sitting in the triage unit of Orlando Health, awaiting to see what had happened. And we prayed. And we sought the Lord together. And I watched God work in an incredible way in the story as he, we saw, delivered Linda of colon cancer. And as I talked to Scott last week and I asked him if the story was okay for me to share, you know what is, is so true about our lives is that deliverance has come, but deliverance is still necessary. We all got problems that we're still walking through today. And those problems seem so monumental, we wonder if God will deliver us again. And the first step to trusting that God will deliver us again is to remember that he's already delivered us in the past. Already. So we must remember deliverance. 
Josh Moody is a pastor and author. He says, the reality of life that you are facing is a precursor to the ultimate reality of death. And who's going to rescue you from that raging water? Who's going to rescue you from that? You know, we can be rescued from thing after thing after thing after thing. But the one thing that we know is going to overtake us, unless Christ comes back before, that one day breath will leave our lungs, and who's going to rescue us from that? Because all of these things that we go through are a precursor to the ultimate test that we will face is will we defeat death and how will we do it if it not been for the Lord who was on our side. The second thing that we see is gratitude amplified. Now, when I say gratitude amplified, it means the volume is up and we are giving thanks to God as loud as we possibly can. Because as the song that we first sang coming in here, he is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy, he is. Verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us his prey to their teeth. <laughs> I mean, the imagery here is a lion with with. Uh, the prey in its clutches, in its mouth. And David says, blessed be the Lord. We've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Turning up the volume on gratitude is literally these three words, blessed, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. He is the one who is worthy. He is the one who has delivered us. So he is the one who deserves all honor and glory and praise. If God is the one who rescues us, then what did I have to do with it? Absolutely nothing. If the Lord is the one that is on my side, then he is the one whom I should live my life in devotion and gratitude towards. We're called to turn the volume up on giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. <clears throat> Excuse me. Alec Motyer says, to bless the Lord is to review what he is, to bring his glories to mind, and to respond in wonder, worship, and adoration. Too often we have this spiritual amnesia. We do forget that God is a God of deliverance. And it causes us to not be grateful, but entitled, right? Like, if we don't respond in gratitude, there's only one alternative, and that's entitlement. And entitlement gives way to these two things, and these are the enemies of gratitude that hinder our blessing the Lord. The first enemy of gratitude is resentment. Now, I'm telling you, if you don't have the truth of God just investing into your heart and your life on a regular basis, if you don't have God's truth pushing back darkness in your life 
on a regular, daily basis, and you are absorbed in the content or the fake news or information of this world, these two things are going to be predominantly in your life, and one of them is resentment. Entitlement causes us to resent God, because if he is the king and ruler of all things, then he will give me what I deserve. That's what we believe. And we believe not what the Bible tells us about what we deserve, but we think that we deserve everything the way we want it. We treat God like the Burger King commercial, your way right away at Burger King now. And if you've ever been to Burger King, you know that's a lie. (laughs) And we resent God. We think that God is treating us unfairly. We look at the lives of others and we compare ourselves to them and we think that somehow we deserve what they got, that they're more loved than we are, that somehow they're more prized than we are for God. And so we compare ourselves to other people and then we think we're entitled to something better than what we've already been given. And so we blame God. Entitlement gives way to resentment. And then entitlement also gives way to cynicism. The cynic always doubts. The cynic always assumes the worst in others and the best in themselves. The cynic always looks at things in a way that says, I don't know if I could trust it. And so rather than looking at the scriptures in a way, instead of bringing our honest doubts to the scriptures, we assume the things of Scripture are against us or are wrong. And, and cynicism, I believe, is a massive enemy to Christianity to, in our day, and here's why. It's because we live in a world filled with people that expect God to move at their whims, and when God does not, we call Him to account. And then we give cynicism, with an attitude of cynicism, everything of Scripture we doubt, everything of genuine affection in other people that we see we doubt, everything that takes place in the life and body of the church that God has called us to, we begin to doubt. And I think that cynicism is beginning to rule in our day and time because we're not allowing the truth of God to show us that with gratitude, God has delivered us. You know, we could have been held captive. And so rather than feeling entitled, my heart will bless the Lord. And when resentment or cynicism comes, we say, God, God, I don't like it in me. God, help me. Help me defeat this. We pray these simple prayers that amplify gratitude rather than amplifying entitlement, resentment, or even cynicism. Excuse me. How do you know if you're dealing with resentment or cynicism? You find yourself persistently angry with God, others, and even yourself. If you find yourself persistently just mad at God, just angry with Him, I can't open the Word of God because I am so mad at Him. I can't pray to God because He and I aren't in a right relationship right now. Or, Or you constantly find yourself embittered towards other people especially other people who who are trying to persuade you with the truth of God, especially those people, or if you find yourself just angry 
at you because you're not good enough, because you're not adequate, and you rehearse these lies in your heart, in your mind. We need to scoff at those things and allow gratitude to be amplified as we remember deliverance and we remember that deliverance tells us that it's coming again. The third thing we see here in verse 8 is a seeking of help. A seeking of help. The call to bless the Lord is a call that helps us know where our help comes from. If you're amplifying gratitude, then it reminds you in the present when trouble comes again and again where your help comes from. If you're continually remembering with gratitude where God has taken you and, you and you recall those things before God and his people, then it will tell you the way to look again and again in seeking help. Psalm 124.8 says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Can we just read that verse together? It's really memorable. Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's your memory verse for this week. It's so simple. Our help is in the name of the Lord. He's the one who made heaven and earth. The question comes is where do you seek help from? Where do you look for help I really saw three strong possibilities as I just opened the passage this week. And the first place that we look for help oftentimes is creation rather than the creator. Rather than looking up, we look to our left and our right. Rather than looking vertically, we look horizontally. We're trying to seek solutions in this world that only heaven can provide. That's what Ryan Armstrong said when he preached last week. We're trying to seek from our left and our right created things, a help that only can come from God. Think about your situation, your circumstances. I mean, I think about the state of our nation right now. We want the next president to be the political alliance that we have attached ourselves to, and we've banked our future on it. And if that candidate doesn't become our king, then life is not going to be worth it then the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket, as if God's not in control of kings and powers and authorities and all things. So we've attached our heart to political alliances, thinking that that is our help when there is no help in Donald Trump or Joe Biden. All right, I'm just going to say it straight from the get-go. There is no help in whoever the president will be because without God, we're through. We're nothing. Now hear me not say, you need to be involved. You need to be invested. You need to be passionate about that. But this world is not our home. This world is not our home. Okay? We're not going to have any elections for president in heaven, thank God. Amen? There is not going to be any elections to see who's going to be king after Jesus. He's on the throne. He's ruling and reigning forever. There's no term limits on him. And that is something that we can rejoice in. We're also wanting to see a V-shaped recovery. 
in the economy. We know that it's been absolutely debilitating going through what we've gone through over the last six months, and we saw it go like this. And we want to see it go like this. And we've banked all of our hope on this V-shaped recovery that we think is going to save us. That's putting our hope in creation. Let, let's, let's bring it into your homes. What, what kind of money do you need to get out of your problem right now? And does that created thing, money, help you out of the situation that you're in? Does that phone call, does that person, but can they ultimately deliver you from the greatest enemy or your greatest trouble, which is death? The second thing that we look to to help us is ourself. Now, I think this is absolutely foolish that we look to ourself to help self out of the place that self got itself into the first place. If self got itself into the first place, how do we think self is going to get self out of that place? Right? Self-help doesn't work. But yet there's books that are written and they're, they're just filling the shelves that say you can be your own personal savior. And here's 10 steps to how to do that. Self can't help self out of the place that self has got itself into because self is a sinner in need of a savior and self can't save us from sin. Self-help is broken. And then when we realize that those two things, there's a good chance you've been there. You've realized creation can't help you. You've realized you can't help yourself out of the place that you've gotten yourself into. And the third thing that can happen is we are given to helplessness, a resignation. It's all over. There's nothing worth living for. There's no purpose in life. This will drive a person to take their own life. And they do. This is why we as God's people for ourselves and for others, must not show the world hope in creation or hope in ourselves or even a life of resignation that leads to despair. But this is why we should show the world that our help is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who made the stars is the one who came down and rescued you. Let me read you a few of these words, a few times where the Bible uses the word help. It's a refrain that's constant in the Bible, especially in the Psalms. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When you're in trouble, when you're in times of difficulty, he's a very present help. It means he's right there to help you. Psalm 10, 14, to, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Interesting thing about the last two years of my life is I've lost my dad, and my dad was that call. He was just that call. I just call him, and he's right there, and he's not there anymore. But you know what God did in that time is he used that time to train me to call out to my heavenly father who's always there, who will never leave me nor forsake me, who death cannot kill. Psalm 115, 11, you, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm 146, 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord God. And then Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, for we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in time of need right now? Are you in time where you need the help of the Lord and only his help? Now, let me confront what I believe is a lie that often goes through all of our minds is that we're not worthy of the help of God. We're not worthy to receive his grace because while the Lord might be on my side, I have not been on his. That comes upon every human being, either through self-righteousness or self-indulgence. We declare ourselves not for God, but against us. Do you believe God is your help? So if you open the Bible to Matthew and you read the genealogy of Jesus, you'll see some people whom God is on his, their side. And they were really jacked up people. Descendants. Jesus was a descendant of these people. Abraham was a terrible husband. I mean, just read Genesis and you'll see how horrible of a husband Abraham was. Jacob was a terrible liar. Rahab was a prostitute. Jesse was a passive, aggressive, abusive father. David was an adulterer and murderer, the guy who wrote the psalm we're reading right now. Solomon, it says, the son who was born to David by the wife of Uriah. <laughs> right? I mean, the Bible is so honest with, with the, the problems of its people. So you can be honest with your own sins and your own struggles so that you can know that just as God was their help, he is ours. And then let's look into the New Testament for a minute and let's look at the disciples of Christ. Oh, they were ones that really had it all together, especially after walking three years with Jesus. But yet Peter betrayed Jesus. Peter denied him three times. You had James and John, the sons of thunder, who were more concerned with building their own platform rather than the kingdom mission of Christ. Or, or, or maybe you see the thief on the cross that, yes, God was on his side, or the leper, God was on his side, or the paralytic, God was on their side, or the deaf and the mute, God was on their side. You see that the Bible is filled with weak people in need of a strong gospel, in need of a strong king. And so are we. The list goes on and on. <coughs> Sorry, this little cough. It's not a COVID cough. I got tested, by the way. I have a negative I can show you on my phone. Just, just wanted to get that out there. Okay. Um, so uh, there's a, I want to close with this, this illustration. There's a story of a pastor who is pastoring a church in a rough neighborhood and raising uh, two young girls. As these girls grew up, they wanted a little independence. And part of their wanting independence is they wanted to walk from their home to the convenience store to buy a pack of gum. And the dad was a little unsettled, a little uneasy about it. And so the girls went to their father and they asked their dad for some money to let them have this newfound freedom of walking down to the convenience store and buying a pack of gum. And so they asked dad for that money and dad said, okay, 
very reluctantly gave him some money. And as the, door, the girls went out the front door, the father went out the back door. And as the girls went down one street, the father went down a parallel street. And as the girls were walking on their way to this convenience store, they encountered a snarling, enraged pit bull. And the, the dad watched it as he was on the street beside them. And the pit bull got closer and closer and closer to them. And then as the pit bull took steps closer to them, the father behind the girls took step closer to the pit bull. And as the girls are facing the dog, the dad is behind them with a big stick. And so rather than coming any closer, the pit bull cowers and runs away. And the girls never realized that their dad was behind them all that time. And they went to the convenience store, and dad got home just before they did, and they said, how was your trip, girls? And they said, it was great. Can we do it again? But the dad remembered that he was there to rescue them. His name was Pastor James Whitehead. He would recall about that event. My children never saw their father, but the dog did. And when the dog saw that stick in my hand, he took off running. The children didn't see their father, but trouble saw their father, and trouble responded to an authoritative presence. Do you know that anything that can harm you will flee in the presence of the Father and that He is your very present help? The promise isn't that trouble won't come, but the promise is that God will deliver you in trouble, even if that trouble leads to death, that God will deliver you because Christ has atoned for you. Christ has said the words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God looked the other way. God's presence left him on that day because God's presence could not be with sin. But because he endured the cross, despising the, shin, the sin and the shame, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God to give us that mercy and grace and help in our time of need. John, 1 John 3.8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He was present he is present. He will be present. And trouble will always flee him. That's the reason why he came. To destroy every work of darkness. So we can say, as Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Remember deliverance. Remember deliverance. Amplify your gratitude and seek help from God your Father 
who has given you all things in Christ. We close in communion. I want to remember, as Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. I want to remember the broken body and shed blood. I want to remember that if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been like prey in the mouth of that angry, snarling dog, the devil. But he came to destroy the work of the devil. And he underwent the judgment that we deserve. Like the waters came over the, the Egyptian army, but the waters parted for the Israelites. He went under that judgment so that we could be on dry land and have salvation. He came out alive. So as we remember his work, may we, as Isaiah 41 says, know that God is upholding us with his righteous right hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your enduring work, your enduring help, help when we falter. God, you are on our side. Lord, let that be our good confession right now. God, you are on our side. And we know through the power of the cross. So right now, Lord, we remember your broken body and shed blood that has given us the deliverance, not only of yesterday, not only of today, but forevermore. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. As Josiah had mentioned earlier, we're going to take communion when you're ready over this song. You're not going to get instructions as to when to open it and when to drink it. You can do that when you're ready. But we take this together because what Jesus has done is not just did it for you individually, but he did this for us. And so as you take communion, remember that you weren't the only one delivered here but so was your brother and sister in Christ. And as you're taking that communion, would you give thanks for his blood spilt, not only for you, but for our church? He has delivered us. So when you're ready, feel free to go up in a socially distanced COVID-19 manner. Thank you.